Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. The reason the Waterford hurling team in the last 10 years became a big hit with the public, or at least with me, was their hilarious exhortations. Pretty much at every free they won or a well-struck sideline cut or something like that. Hmm. John Milan and the others would sort of all go absolutely crazy. But also playing brilliant hurling, I that's, say. Uh, that's not a feeling that's universal around uh, all of hurling. Well, all. I'll just speak for myself then, rather than the public. For much of the All-Ireland Final on Sunday, I was frankly a little disappointed at the lack of exhortations by the Clare team. To be honest, yeah. there's Shane O'Donnell scoring a hat-trick and letting loose with a couple of clenched fists, but nothing more than that. Some heroic defending in the second half. But again, they were quite calm and professional about the whole thing. Then, with a few minutes ago, I fell in love with this team, Murph. Yeah. Anthony Nash missed a free for Cork. And Clare's captain, Pat Donnan, celebrated like he scored a hat-trick himself. <laughs> Not even a taunting Martin Keown to Ruben Van Nistelrooy yeah, style. Yeah. Just a primal roar as he's running back up the field, realising we're was it six points ahead of this yeah, stage. Yeah. And he continued this right into his victory speech where he practically fell off the yeah. stand there. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, see, jumping like, around with the trophy. It, was, it was kind of interesting because it did get quite a bit of attention during the drawn game, just how much Clare were celebrating everything that happened in the game. For instance, oh, really? Yeah, Brendan Bugler... Um, would have caught a few sort of puck outs, got fouled, and then given it full. Full. He went full Dan Shannon, uh, not half Dan Shannon, full, full Dan, Dan Shannon, full Dan's um, which is pretty intense, as yeah. you well know. Uh, but then there was one occasion in the second half where Clare desperately needed to win a puck out, and the ball came down on Bugler and Pacron. I think was jumping with him, and uh, Bugler caught it. And then he was kind of uh, had to really like burst out through a couple of cork forwards, managed to win the free. And I thought it was prime, you know, free winning celebration time. And he kind of did it, and his his <laughs> fist clench kind of stopped at his body, so he didn't rotate the shoulder fully yeah, to well, get, kind of get the, the fist passed up over the shoulder. He, he just kind of clenched it into his chest. And I was thinking, has someone had a word <laughs> with Brendan Bugler? I mean, this is what it's all about—the bit of passion. Yeah, cut, the, makes... cra- cut the crap, Bugler. Somebody told him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm telling him now to cut the crap and celebrate every single free you ever win. Johnny Sexton. Because, I mean, it, you know, it endears you. We're going to be talking hurling very shortly with Nicky English, Chrissy O'Connor 
and Maliki Clerken, but also Johnny Sexton on the show today from Paris. Ken, he's brought in a new book, A Diary of Last Season, which was an eventful season. He left Leinster, he went on a winning Lions tour as a, the starting out half, ended up at Racing Metro, of course, with Rowan O'Gara. Now, I haven't, funny, I haven't read that many in-depth interviews over the years with Sexton, so this is the clearest insight into how he thinks. He is still playing, so by almost by necessity or by definition, it's going to be limited in some ways, but there's plenty of stuff in there that I didn't already know, which is good. Yeah, I thought it was it was interesting how open he was about how um, abusive he can become uh, when uh, certain things start to irritate him. Owen Redden on being one of those training. things. His best friend, Owen Redden, Seems is a very irritable Owen person. Owen Redden gets, gets the worst. I mean, he describes himself kicking Owen Redden to the ground in a, in a fight and training. Owen Redden had shoulder charged him off the ball, though. Yeah, so he runs after Redden and kicks him to the ground. And like a South American footballer in a, in a <laughs> yeah, brawl. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, and they throw it out, but the, you know, there's, he's screaming at but people. He turns around at one point and there's Brian giving me the disappointed look. <laughs> what, can, what can you imagine he has to say to that from Brian Driscoll? You know, he's, he's, he's perfectly open about it, but he's, I like his attitude, I must say. He comes across, well, the fact that he's prepared to admit it, you know, this is, he's comfortable enough with who he is. And I think it's good to have that sort of... Mm. A competitor like that, so comfortable, so comfortable with it. In fact, that it kind of you kind of get the impression that he has no intention whatsoever of changing. In well, any small actually, way. no, he does talk about trying to change. But I get the, there. There were moments where he felt a bit embarrassed by it. Where, for example, in the Lions tour, he balled. I think it was the forwards during a training session. He had a massive go at them, and he said that a couple of them were turning around looking at him serious dagger so he apologised to them then he apologised to them again the following day just to mm. reinforce the point I'd be interested how the French players react to those sort of uh, that sort of line of yeah. uh, being a teammate but no he just I think, think, yeah. I, I think you're right though I think you know he, he, he kind of regrets it sometimes but overall I think he's quite happy and Leo Cullen and other teammates tell him all the time keep doing it it's, yeah. it's this extreme competitiveness though which characterises him which is uh, probably part of why he's you know been an outstanding player but one very funny episode in that book where he's talking about being on the on the bus with O'Driscoll he's talking to him about the book that he's doing with Paul Kimmage you know O'Driscoll said it's quite difficult to write about you and O'Gara because every time I praise O'Gara you know I kind of feel like I'm stabbing you in the back a bit and, <laughs> and vice versa you know and Saxton is saying well you know he doesn't seem to have any problem uh, pouring praise all over O'Gara for you know kicking the winning drop goal yeah. to to win the Grand Slam, and uh, and then he says, "What about that penalty he missed in in two thousand in the Heineken Cup?" You know, and he's bringing up all these uh, mistakes that O'Gara made. Then in the game later on that that evening, he's there. He hits a winning drop goal. Well, he's he's about to he's about to take oh, a yeah. penalty, I think. And he said, "It's funny." And I was just thinking, talking about this kind of very situation with O'Driscoll earlier on uh, on the bus, and he's like, "It's funny how these things sort of pop into your head." Anyway. Nails the kick over the bar. Put that in your book, Brian. <laughs> Sexton thinks. <laughs> so I, don't know if he, I don't know if it's going to be in the book. But. Murphy, you're quite struck by the sobriety of the young Claire Hurlers. They were calm on the field, I thought, relatively yeah. calm. Well, they weren't. Once they won, they went absolutely nuts. Yeah. But after the match, and particularly the next day at the team base, this is, a, as has been said, is a level-headed bunch of young lads. Yeah, and I mean, it's the day after the All-Ireland hurling final. You expect a scene of carnage. In the in the team hotel uh, on the Sunday morning, but really and truly, there, I was kind of walking out there and I was like, "Well, that guy, well, he can't be a player because he looks fresh as it is." And then you look again, it's like, "Wait a minute, that's Shane O'Donnell." I mean, the guy looked unbelievably fresh. And like, I I, I was asking a few of the journalists actually, and they said, "There's just a, a huge number of these players that just don't drink." Yeah. And um, you know, that's obviously absolutely 
their prerogative and it's it's a, it's a sign that you know these guys aren't actually going to go away they're they're not going to go mental and they're not going to go away and you know there were kind of comparisons drawn to other teams that have won recently uh and have celebrated absolutely wildly and you're kind of thinking right well you can draw comparisons between that team and this Clare team but really you know, the comparison is totally different in the mindset of these young guys. Because, And what really struck me as well was, like, Pat Donalds, the first thing he said in the speech, the first thing he said in the speech was, we're here to stay. That, you know, yeah. we, 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 Claire haven't done this all that often, but we, we intend to be back here. And, I mean, I think if you throw that in, into, into the speech at the end, you kind of go, right, well, fair enough. But when it's the first thing he actually says, you're a little more inclined to, to take it seriously. Nicky English and Chrissy O'Connor are going to be joining us very shortly. Maliki Clerken is in studio. Maliki, you're at the game, of course, and you're covering it. A pleasurable experience? Surely was, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it was kind of amazing that so many sort of things came together and the planet sort of aligned. Um, you know, the novelty, apart from anything else, of a Saturday night final, the, the atmosphere in the stadium was, was pretty awesome all the way around, you know, and it just built and built and built. But, I mean, we were completely spoiled with the quality of the match. Um, you, you know, at the end of a hurling season like that, if it had been a terrible game, people would have still walked away going, well, you know, the, the season was great. But, I mean, for it just to be so relentless and for the level of scoring to keep coming and coming and coming. I mean, Cork, like, in the drawn game, they, both of them scored the highest amount without winning of any teams in an All-Ireland final since 1970. Cork scored that again in the replay and still didn't win. So it's, it's an extraordinary stat and, a, and it, was, it was an incredible night. Yeah, and it's be funny because novelty isn't always a great thing in the GEA. You know? so it's, it can take a bit of getting used to a Saturday night match, but I guess the game that, that ended up happening would have helped matters greatly. In terms of how Davy Fitzgerald was after, how the Clare players were afterwards, mm. it's, I guess you can't really generate that sort of excitement, that sort of reaction, unless it's a, a rare enough thing, which it is for these guys. I suppose so, yeah. But I mean, what just comes across from them when you talk to them is, is just how young they are. Like it, it is... And obviously Shane O'Donnell has has sort of captured the the nation's attention over the over the weekend. But I mean, even somebody like Tony Kelly, who was sitting beside Davy for the um, for the the sort of winners press conference, I mean, he was talking away like a grizzled forty year old. Hmm. The guy's nineteen. You know? I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really unnerving actually because I was out in the team hotel on Sunday morning, mm. and just to see them walking around. They look like a minor team, yeah, and it's it is really really unnerving to 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 see. And it's Shane O'Donnell, and I think the the fact that so many people didn't know um, Shane O'Donnell before the game started, and then when he took his helmet off, yeah. as he was taken <laughs> off, it was like, my God, he's twelve. <laughs> the man is twelve. It's, that's really the kind of the frightening thing about this as well. Chris, are you going to bring you in here? The excitement levels in Clare. You were confident that they would do it the first day. You were marginally less but still confident they could get it done it turns out that those those young player players have brass balls yeah exactly and look at I suppose that's the one thing lads that, that, that these boys have that clear teams ever had in the past you know like is that level of confidence that level of belief and you know they believe that Crow Park is their stage and that you know their their destiny is to win all Ireland's and um, you know but I think the you know the point Maliki made there about Tony Kelly like that, that you know these guys are all they're all nice sound you know, intelligent, mm. articulate, good lads like that. You know, there's no airs or grace about them. And um, you know, even talking to James yesterday about, you know, he said that he was involved in 
couple of hearty teams in Flannans in 2009 and 2010 and they didn't win anything in those years but like you know I said the character in those teams were just you know phenomenal guys like, like Mo- the most good hurting teams would be like that Christy though no well look at I suppose <clears throat> yeah but but I, you know look at you often say look at McGuinness's line last year you know give me character ahead of skill any day and these boys have character mm-hmm. and skill which is you know probably a, an even greater fusion of you know of power like and what you can do with it so you know look at I think you look at a lot of teams they have you know, that they have skill, they have character, like, but these boys have immense skill, like an immense pace and athleticism. And that's the one thing I suppose that Clare have now that, you know, they never really had before. They never had in such bulk, like they never produced players of this quality where you have, you know, athletic players, massive pace, um, really skillful, beautiful ball players, quality forwards. You know, Clare never produced players like that before, lads, really, you know. So, um, and, you know, when you have the character and the belief that these guys have, like, I suppose it's just a... It's just a powerful combination. Christy, you had a lovely line in a piece at the weekend where you talked about Gerlach Nan in conversation with the father of one of the players. This is after the drawn game and the father was saying, isn't it great how we're back competing? And Lachnan says, competing? Totally incredulous. We're going to dominate. Uh, and he's not the only one talking like that. Uh, even People from outside the county, it's been said on a number of occasions over the last few days, Eddie Brennan even saying that they could go on to dominate. Is that is is there a slight concern there? All sports fans have this, you know, slight fear in the back of their mind that if their team is supposed to dominate, then that's not going to happen. Is there a genuine idea in Clare that it could happen? I think there is. Like, look, I think there's a you know, counties like Clare. You know, I don't think you're ever going to get too far ahead of yourself. And I think you know, one of the standout moments for me of the year was was the aftermath of the under twenty one final that. You know, we'd say, like, Clare, with all, all respect to Antrim, Clare were always going to win that match. They are always going to win it handy, really. Um, you know, a massive Clare crowd, crowd travelled down. You know, you saw the reaction, you know, on TG Carr after the match. Like, you know, that it was a mass pitch invasion. You know, like, and, you know, that for me summed it up. Like, that, you know, I don't think we're ever, ever going to get um, complacent in, in Clare about winning titles or winning All-Irelands and winning Munster titles because we were long enough, you know, looking in at, at, at you know, other counties winning them and, and we didn't, like, so... I, I think that's that's the first thing. Um, you know, look, at there there has been counties in the past that, you know, and no disrespect to Limerick, Limerick won three All-Ireland in the 21s and, and, you know, never never won anything afterwards. You know, other counties have won All-Ireland in the 21s with, with, you know, super players. But I don't know, I just think there's something different about these guys. Like, And if you look at, um, you know, we'll say, like, I, I think what, what, you know, and even the under-21 management would, would admit this, like, that the, probably the best thing that ever happened, Claire, was losing that minor final in... 2010 to Kilkenny, you know, a game they should have won, like, and you know that that was really, I suppose, Clare, you know, felt so hurt after losing that match, and that they made a kind of a pact to themselves. A lot of those players that, you know, they would come back, like, and that, you know, I think that they're, they're grounded in that way, like that, you know, um, that they just feel that they're they're not going to take anything for granted. And I suppose look at their attitude has been all year. Look at, you know, okay, you might be 19 or 20, you might you might still not, never get a better chance. And I think the fact that they've won one early now the monkeys off their back in one sense that they can maybe express themselves a bit more. And if you even look at it, like most of these guys, like Tony Kelly was a couple of weeks overage for for minor last year. <clears throat> Colin Galvin is under 21 next year. Um, Tony Kelly, or sorry, Shane O'Donnell is only 19. Aaron Cunningham is under 21. Um, you know, like there's, there's, a, there's 14 of the panel, of the under 21 panel on the senior panel. I'd say the majority of those guys are under 21 again next year. So, you know, these guys are looking at, you know, maybe winning looking to win a three in a row under 21 next year. That's going to be their focus as well. So these guys have just grown up as winners and they don't see why should this stop?
Yeah, it's true enough, and it, I don't want to rain on their parade at all here. Nikki, Nikki English has been listening to this, but I guess Tipperary were in a not totally dissimilar position three years ago with Ireland champions, a lot of underage success, and there were great things predicted of them, but it didn't happen. Should that be a salutary tale for Claire, do you think? Um, it's hard known, really. You know, like Tip, I, I'm not sure Tip had the depth at the you know, 21 level that in that particular team that Claire have in, in the current team. Um, you know, the, the Tip... Senior, the best on the senior team, the four or five guys that made the senior team, like Brendan Maher, uh, Park Maher, Noel McGrath, uh, Garold Ryan, they, they actually were the, the four or five on the under twenty one team. So there wasn't a whole lot more to come off that under twenty one team from a Tipperary perspective. But at the time, everyone said, "Well, you know, a week after winning the All Ireland in great style against Kilkenny, this you know this Tipperary team is going to dominate." And sure, you know, we, we know we know it hasn't since. So, you know, there is, uh, I, I think. You know, from everything I hear, I don't know anything about the Clare lads. Other than you know, everyone says they're very sensible guys, and um, uh, so. It, but this will be a test. Of, you know, it's, uh, people change when they win an Ireland medal. It's uh, it's uh, they, they, they've always done in the past, so it'll be uh, be unlikely that some of them won't change. Um, but you know, they're still even if they don't win it next year, they're, they're they're still such good players. I think that they're going to be around. They're going to be around for a long time, and uh, that you know, they have they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of skill, and. Uh, you know, but this year they had the hunger and the desire with it, and, and sometimes if you take away with that hunger and desire, that uh, you know you, you can you can bring teams back to earth very fast. And I, I think every all the other teams in the country anyway, you know, this was a pretty level championship. Um, mm. You know, Cork got Cork got close enough to Clare. Really, I suppose it was illogical to think that Cork could 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 get as close as they did, but but they did. You know. Uh, with, with ten or fifteen minutes to go there, it looked at one stage like like they were going to if, if they could ever get ahead, you know, Conor Lehan missing that point and uh, you know that the goal from Conor McGrath really, but you know they got close enough, so it'd be hard. To, it, 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 there's nobody talking about Cork uh, <laughs> uh, being being a, being uh, dominating hurling for the next couple of years, but they were close enough to you know to win in that game. So you you just don't know. It's it's a, look, it was a great championship, and the prospects are that hurling is. It's all the better because of that great player team, really, that we've seen this year. And and it's going to be, you know, all the other teams are going to say, well, we have a chance to win the next year. We saw where where Clare came from this year, came from nowhere uh, to win the All Ireland in, in great style. But you know, everyone else will get a bit of heart, and they'll they'll uh, they'll come back. They'll all come back very hard next year. And uh, I'd say it'll be even better, to be honest. Yeah, well, that'd be great, uh, Maliki. I it was taken by the speech by Pat Donlan's speech, uh, and in particular his words on Davy Fitzgerald. The fact that he actually threw it out there and alluded to the media persona yeah. of David. And we know that the, a lot of people in Clare felt that David Fitzgerald had, had a certain type of personality and that it wouldn't work out as manager and that he might hold the team back. Now, that's turned out to be absolute nonsense. But for the cap, winning captain to say that and then say, look, we, we'd lay our lives on the line tomorrow morning, essentially, for this guy, was pretty incredible, I thought. Yeah, although... Although I don't know if there would be many managers that you could really do it with other than somebody with Davy's personality. I mean, Davy is, I don't know if you'd call him an open book, but I mean, he is certainly somebody that everybody has an opinion on uh, for for good or for ill. Uh, and I guess at the end of a season like that, especially, you know, when, you know, th- like even the reference to the media thing, well, you know, could have been pointed at, you know, the fact that Davey didn't turn up to the press night before the drawn game and stuff like that. And, and like, there would be plenty of people having a go at him for that and pundits and all this sort of thing. So for for the captain to do that, I guess, was a sort of um, a, 
an acknowledgement of the sort of the bond between them. And you do talk to some of the players and they do kind of go, well, the Davy that you see isn't the Davy that we see. And this is how, you know, the Davy that we see is is the one that has brought us to this point. Mm. But I mean, even if you saw his um, his victory, victory speech is wrong, but his speech down in Ennis on uh, Sunday night, uh, and he was reading off these little cards, like this guy is after leading the county to their fourth ever All-Ireland. He looked even really kind of nervous reading off little cards, like yeah. like as if he was somebody speaking in public for the first time. Um, so he's a guy who's a, who's an interesting character, whatever way you turn it. And I guess that 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 is what is driving somebody like Pat Donlan to sort of stand up for him in that moment. Uh, Christy, we've obviously um, seen the amount of work that Davy puts into managing Clare and the intensity that he brings to it, and what he goes through on the sideline even. Uh, over the course of the last two years as Clare manager, do you think it's a job that he can do in the long haul, or is this, you know, maybe the second year of three or maybe four years that Davy will have in charge, and then just for the sake of his own sort of well-being, he'll have to step away from it, given the amount of effort he puts into it. Well, sure, I, I suppose Kieran, nobody knows that only himself. Like, but I, I would feel myself, and there would be a feeling in Clare that Davy will be. It's, I'm not saying it's going to be a Sean Boylan job, but that he'd want yeah. to stay for as long as he possibly can because look at he's he's always said it that look at it is his life and you know he's he went from you know he's very heavily involved in LIT, um you know he went straight from Waterford back to Clare, you know he went he, he finished his playing career and went into management then he's gone from you know his next managerial job into the Clare job so look at that he's always said it that's his life so look at I would say that he's going to be here for. You know, he'll be here for as long as he probably wants to be here, lads, to be honest with you. Yeah, is, but is there a feeling maybe that uh, that he, he'll he want to stay in the job for as long as possible, but the sort of slavish devotion that he has from his players right now, that maybe that's the thing that might that might be slowly eroded over the course of three, two or three or four years? Well, I suppose, look, the challenge for him is to, you know, to re-energise the setup, to, you know, evolve, to freshen it up at different stages. So, you know, it's very hard to say, to answer that at the moment, Kieran, because, you know, look at... Who's, who knows what's going to happen with, in terms of how the, how the panel is going to evolve? Like this, like I suppose there's an awful lot of very good young players coming even after this crew. So, um, you know, he'd be looking to freshen up. And even with, I know even from talking to, to a few people, like that he's even been planning ahead already. That he's looking to get in some of the younger guys, that maybe even some of the minors from this year. That he's getting them in on the training panel in November and get getting them sorted. So he's planning ahead. And even as Eddie said on on Sunday, um, you know, look at the one thing that Claire didn't do. This year was B Tip or B Kilkenny, so you know Eddie Brennan said that that's something he'd want to take off his list. So look, there's always going to be challenges, and you know whether, whether as you said, whether he's um, that slavish devotion is how long he's, he can he can keep that going for. That's I don't think anybody can answer that, um, but like he he'll definitely want to to keep it going for as long as he possibly can. Yeah, Nicky, the point you made about the evenness of the championship and how uh, other teams might take heart. I mean, one of them might be Kilkenny. I know Henry Shefflin did a, an interesting interview with Vincent Hogan a couple of weeks ago on the. Irish Independent, and he was making the point that he was watching the first match and thinking, this is pretty fast. You know, he said it, it always seems that bit faster when you're actually just watching it and not involved, but he was looking at it going, right, well, this is the level I have to get back up to. Now, you would imagine that as the winter progresses, guys like Shefflin and those Kilkenny players, and hopefully players from Tip, uh, will actually aspire to to get to that. Is that your hope? Yeah, well, I, I, I think, but it'll be, it'll be interesting, you know, because if you're, if you're in, if you're in Kilkenny, you're going to have to, like, you're going to have to make, make some changes, I would have thought, to the team. They're, they're going to have to find some, some, definitely some more, some punch up, more punch up front. Um, you know, they, they were only hanging in for most of the year this year. Uh, it was a longer campaign than usual for them, but, you know, it's, it's, 
you know, you, 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 I've, I've, I've seen the opinion uh, expressed that, well, maybe they needed a break anyway, and if they, they, this is their first summer off and they're able to enjoy themselves and, and that they'll come back even fresher, maybe that's true, but I, I, I'm... I'm I'd, I'd be sceptical. I, I think that, that they'll need to change, and I think there'll be there'll be need to be change in tip as well. You know, I think, you know, I suppose we, we, everyone looked at the league final this year and said, well, Tip and Kilkenny are going to dominate. But I thought that, I thought like even at that match and at that stage there was something false about the game. To be honest with you, and it was like as if, you know, there were two heavyweights that were were backing away in the corner. But at the same time, you know, I I, I didn't think that they were that. Uh, they were absolutely that fearsome, and and, that, and as it turned out, that was the way. That, that's the way it turned out. You know that they weren't just as uh, as good as uh, as the rest of the teams coming up around them. And, and I think, you know, the interesting thing about it, it, it's hard to imagine hurling evolving from year to year or changing. But I think there was a definite there was a definite change in in, in style this year. And over the last number of years, Tipperary and Kilkenny were able to dominate by just lumping long ball down into the into the forward line and. You know, getting goals because of that. But like you said, here the you know the teams that prospered were the teams that played played the, played the ball shorter. Now there was criticism of players earlier on that they played it too short. But the, the, the teams that prospered were the teams that used possession very well, and uh, you know none more so than player really. So you know, I think is there's there's a style change necessary, and you know that's that's what happens in Holland. Everyone. Or in any sport, really, I suppose everyone looks at what the successful teams did the previous year and and, and tries to to, to to take the best out of that as well. So, you know, it's I, I think it's it's I, I thought it was a brilliant brilliant campaign for Holland, really, and 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 I just I I honestly think it opened it up that if yeah. you're in Wexford or you're in you're in you're in Offaly or you're in Watford, you know, you have you 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 could you could see yourself getting. You know, there's there's no absolute dominant team there, really. I think you'd you'd have a, you'd be you'd be fancying your chances of of uh, make, making a bit of run at it, you know. Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be asked. Answer tonight, tonight. So now come here tonight, tonight into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight, tonight. Their team is better set up tonight, tonight. But they just the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight, tonight. Second Captains Football, available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6pm tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. All right, Nicky, great stuff. Thanks very much. And to Christy O'Connor and Maliki, thank you for popping into studio. One thing we didn't talk to Nicky about there, Murph, was the Anthony Nash free yeah. that he buried past about <laughs> roughly 15 of the Clare <laughs> players but I, I know he made an observation in the Irish Times which he made to you at the game you were chatting to him one point at the game about that yeah um, I met him at half time in the game you know and uh, he had said to me uh, I noticed these big uh, six or seven of these huge big bossed hurlies sitting in the goal mouth uh, before the game even started and I was looking at it thinking Peter Kelly's not going to use all of those uh, but when the free was announced I hadn't noticed the, the hurley sitting in the goal mouth and when the free was announced, it was just the most unbelievable theatre. I mean, I'm looking back through kind of great moments in all Ireland finals that I've been at. And this is one of the real great ones because Anthony Ash comes out to about 30 yards from goal and the free is kind of at an angle. So he wasn't sure that he was going to be called down. Johnny Clifford walks out onto the field. Uh, sorry, no, it was one of the, one of the uh, Jimmy Barry's backroom team walked out onto the field and waved, and waved him down. Mm. And... Um, so Nash starts making his way back down the field. And then you see the clear goalie, Pat Kelly, ste- ste- uh, stepping in, uh, 
out of his goal match and it appears waving back the entire Clare team but it can't be the entire Clare team obviously that just doesn't happen so as Nash is making his way down you see every single Clare player that he's running past sort of joining in a convoy kind of behind him like a Pied Piper kind of thing and so Nash gets to the gets to the free and steadies himself and you look in the goal mat and it's the most outrageous scene you've ever seen because it's an entire team of hurlers standing in a goal mat. So basically where, where I was in the lower Hogan, everyone was up on their feet at this stage at just the, like the drama yeah. of it all. Nash lifts, strikes, net billows, just an lifts, unbelievable moment. Manages, I was trying to count the steps on the slow motion replays, uh, not in a technical way as in, yeah. in any way a foul, but just to see how many steps he managed to get in in the time the ball was in the air. And it was upwards of 10 between as he's from when he lifts the ball to when he strikes the ball, yeah. he runs. He takes ten steps in his run and gets whatever amount of yards was yeah. talked about. And he actually the... he actually has time to let go of his hurl and put his uh, his second hand lets go of the hurl and then uh, grabs it again just in time to, to strike the ball with the power. Don't know. Cusack was saying in his ga.e column Ken that uh, Pat Kelly's a brave man because when he trained with Anthony Nash, he learned very quickly not to go in goals for Anthony Nash mm. Freeze. Donald a brave man, brave goalkeeper, but he wasn't going to stand in goals in training not in and training. get whacked by for that. Nash. It's, it's actually, it's funny, Nicky, the only other thing Nicky English said to me before the game started was, um, oh yeah, this Shane O'Donnell guy, he's really, really good. And he actually wrote in his Irish Times column on the Saturday, I'd like to see this guy get involved. Uh, so as but bits of punditry go, that's not bad. Sharp hurting mind is Dick English. Yeah. We've learned over the last few days, if we didn't already know, coming up at six o'clock tonight. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Yeah, we're going to talk to Sid Lowe about his new book, Fear and Loathing in La Liga, Barcelona against Real Madrid. So um, it's a pretty good book, actually. I'm, I'm not going to tell any more now. I'm just saying it's worth uh, having listened to that. Emmett Malone. Uh, was out to see Noel King yesterday at the Irish squad announcement. Some old faces back in the squad. Andy Reid has recalled Stephen Ireland says he's going to come back just as soon as he's fit enough. And, um, you know, so it's, 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 it's going to be an interesting uh, potential for at least some interest in these dead qualifiers against Germany and Kazakhstan. We'll talk a little bit about uh, labour abuses in Qatar also. That'll be out at six o'clock tonight. That's Tuesday. We are now joined to talk about his new book. I'm delighted to say by Racing Metro and Ireland out half. Johnny Sexton, Becoming a Lion is the name of the book. Johnny, thanks very much for chatting to us. And I guess the obvious question is how you're settling in over in Paris. First of all, we hear a lot about the different rugby cultures between ourselves over here and the French. What's the biggest difference? Um, I suppose everything is a lot different. So it does take a little bit of betting in time. Um, you know, even just a simple thing on the day of a game, uh, you know, what I was used to with Leinster and was, you know, rocking up for a home game maybe a couple of hours before kickoff and you've got the whole day to prepare, you know, the way you like to. And over here they like to, you know, go in for, a, if it's a six o'clock game, to be at the ground for 10 a.m. and you do a little walkthrough and of a video and a meeting and then you go off to a hotel for the day and spend it there. So, you know, that takes a lot of getting used to. You know, you have to prepare differently for a game and, That'll take a few weeks just to get something that works for for you, and it's a very important time when you're sort of preparing. Um, 
so like I said it's just taken a bit of time to get used to yeah it's funny because I know just from reading through the book even that you uh, you have a particular way or with Leinster you had a particular way of preparing for games and a lot of what you would do wouldn't necessarily be relevant to the rest of the team ultimately it would be but you know you'd be very much going through your notes going through certain things have you been able to incorporate that within this what sounds like a very long day um, on match day in France yeah I think you you have to alter some things in your I suppose every player probably has a routine in some shape or form Um, you know and I suppose I would be quite strict on mine leading up to games and uh you know, I do have time to, to do little things like that. You just have to adjust things to, you know, for what the, they do here. And that's uh, just a little bit of a shock at the start. Um, but like I said, I'm getting used to it now. And you just develop new ways of uh, preparing and you find ways to, to cope. It's early days yet, but is, is it too early to have built up uh, an emotional attachment at your new club? Um, well, obviously, it's, it's, it's a lot different to how it feels playing, you know, for a team um, that you've played with for maybe, you know, seven, eight years. or, But it's, uh, yeah, I suppose you would. You start to build up uh, relationships with the other players and, um, you know, start to build up relationship with the coaches. And that's that's who you ultimately play for. Um, you know, you obviously play for your family and the supporters, but, um, you know, your teammates and your coaches are probably the most important people um, in terms of, you know, your professional world and you want to do... Um, them justice as well so you know they're very important and yeah I'm starting to build up relationships with them now um, so that's obviously once that team spirit gets stronger and stronger you, you do feel more attached to them yeah It's clear Johnny that and even if people haven't read the book yet they may well have seen some of the quotes some of the excerpts from it that ideally you wanted to stay at Leinster you wanted to stay in Ireland it didn't work out that way I'm just wondering did did there come a moment where you had to shelve that and you, you just had to focus on this new challenge? Because I, I don't know if there, there were any, maybe there were mixed emotions in heading over. Was there a point where you thought, OK, what's happened has happened. I have to start a new life, a new part of my career now. Yeah, like I said, like those, those thoughts were obviously as they were happening. Um, you know, and then once the decision is made and... Um, you know that's that's when you you, you move on and uh, obviously I still had a you know massive uh, a lot of games you know big games with Leinster at the end of the season so you can't move on too soon you know you have to you know I wanted to finish on a high there but once I, the minute I stepped in the door here um, you know I think it's only natural that you you give everything um, you know they showed a lot of faith in me by by wanting me to come here and you know they were the only club to say a firm yes from day one and uh, you know you got to repay that and you know I want to prove myself here and I want to you know earn the respect of you know the French players that have been here for years and you know I was lucky with Leinster I played with um, you know a lot of great foreign players and uh, you know I would have seen the, the how the good ones acted and I would have seen a few bad ones come in and go so I just tried to take example from some of the better foreigners in Leinster and sort of come in come in here and um, try and prove myself amongst the group. Yeah, the, the Brad Thorne and those kind of guys would have been a bit of an inspiration, I guess. Yeah, like you, when you're, I suppose when a foreign player comes in, when I was playing with Leinster, a foreign player comes in, you automatically kind of judge them, um, whether that's right or wrong. But um, So I suppose it's, you know, with guys like Brad Thorne and Ethan Asiwa and, you know, even guys like Chris Whitaker and Felipe, they were the big successes that we had in in Leinster. And, you know, they really bought into um, what Leinster were trying to do. And um, that's why they're so successful, their work ethic, how professional they were. So, you know, I'm just trying to 
do that here and uh, hope that the um, the, the, the team accepts accept you into the group and that they see that you're here for the right reasons and you're working hard and you want to win. So Yeah. You made the point, Johnny, that the, uh, as you kind of touched on the fact that the book is in a, a diary form. So you're kind of, people reading it, you're looking at it and it's consec- there's quite a, 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 I suppose there's a logical progression towards the point where you actually end up moving to Paris. But from my point of view, watch, uh, reading it, it was the emotion of the day when that actually happened, when the IRFU put out the press release that things that you were going to be moving on that really struck me was that something you were comfortable in including was that something that you wanted people to know about that you were actually what you were going through at that time no I, I like I said I didn't sit down at the end of the season and sort of you know recall things that happened I was very much a, you know I met with Peter O'Reilly who who goes wrote it for me and um, you know we used to meet once a week once every two weeks and we um, you know he'd really sort of prod me and, and get me to come out you know what I mean like and yeah. get get my honest feelings and you know, you know that's why I tried to keep as much of that in there as possible, and uh, you know that's just how I felt at those moments. Maybe uh, you know, looking back in it now, maybe I shouldn't have uh, included uh, some of the stuff. You know, it's probably cost me uh, more hassle than it's uh, worth. But I think it, it's obviously an honest uh, appraisal of how I felt at the time. And um, what sort of stuff is causing you the hassle? Oh no, well, just it's it's. You know, you think when you 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 do the book and it'll just be done, and um, you know people can sit down and read it. But um, you know, I didn't realise I was going to have to come on uh, these shows and, <laughs> and talk about it. Uh, so I suppose that's what you don't uh, prepare for, because like I said, these things happened, you know, maybe eight months ago, and um, you know, like I said, it was it was as as I went and as I went week to week, and I, I met and uh, sort of gave my thoughts and. I try to keep as much of it in as possible. Is there any doubt in your mind at this point, or has there been any doubt at any point that you've done the right thing in making the switch? Say that again, sorry? Has there ever been a point that you've doubted whether you've done the right thing in making the move? No, I think, um, you know, once you make the decision, it's the right decision. I think I got, you know, that's that's what you have to do. Once you make the decision, you've just got to make it work and have no regrets and just, put everything into it and that's what I've tried to do I've um, you know like I said I, I, I made the decision I parked it and tried to finish on a high with Leinster um, luckily we did that and um, I take some great memories from my last year there and uh, like I, I take great memories with me from all my years there I was lucky that I was there for um, you know a period of success and but once you make the decision you you like I, like I said I parked it and then once I stepped in the door here you know very much just focus on um like I said, just being a, a good, uh, you know, teammate and trying to prove to the to the French players that I'm that I'm proud to, to play for their club and uh, that I want to have success here and, and win trophies with them. You're going to continue to work with Joe Schmidt now, um, and you are continuing to work with Joe Schmidt at international level. It really shines through the book how close you you are with him. A, a player, I guess, will always. But maybe you feel, you might feel the need to. You would have to say nice things about a coach, but it's quite clear that you two seem to really be on the same wavelength from a rugby point of view. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get plenty of stick now when I <laughs> go into the Irish camp. But like I said, I didn't know Joe was going to be the the Irish coach as I was riding it. I thought I was going to be um, at one stage sort of leaving him with Leinster and not getting to work with him again. Um, but yeah, I suppose um, for a number ten, the most important person is probably the coach because. You know, uh, I rely on 
on him so much in many ways and um if he if he's really good and has the team really well organized that it makes my job a hell of a lot easier and um yeah I suppose that's the that's that's why I probably got on so well with him was because he was uh, an excellent hands-on coach and made my job on the pitch uh, pretty easy. So it's tactical as much as anything else or was it a, a personal kind of uh, man management style that you liked? Um probably, you know, the the hands-on approach. He, he was probably he probably takes most of the boxes as a coach, probably all the boxes. Um you know, that's why he he's had the success he's had with uh with Claremont and 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 Leinster and um yeah, he's got a, a good way, especially for a back. You know, he allows you to go out and express yourself and, and uh, you know, he encourages you to play. Um, I suppose that was one thing that probably struck me at the start. I remember playing a game thinking I was playing really well and, um, you know, we were, I think we were 11, 12 points up against Munster in Talman Park and it was the last play before half time and I was just thinking, get the ball off the park and get to half time, this, this amount points up. And, you know, in the review after the game, um, you know, he had a go at me for not for not using the ball, and we had an overlap, and I didn't use it. And uh, you know that that was good in many ways because I was kind of thinking, right, well, I know what this guy wants. There's no second guessing myself. He wants us to go out and play, and that's a great thing as a as a player that you you know where you stand and and what the coach wants you to do. Your relationship with Brian O'Driscoll is interesting, not so much your relationship with him, but the, I guess the different ways you go about things on the field. You outline maybe the fact that you can be a little bit cranky at times and you do, you do talk about that whereas uh, Brian maybe is a little bit well tr- it's admonishes you from time to time for uh, for having a go with some of your teammates um no, he doesn't you know doesn't have a go with me i think he just you know tells me i need to do it maybe sometimes in a better way at times and i know that myself and um obviously i i always listen to the the advice that Brian was given me at the time but like i said obviously you know, in, in a couple of cases, he'd have, you know, chat to me and, you know, invariably the next session or the next game uh, would happen again. So I always didn't, uh, <laughs> lis- li- well, I did listen to it, but I didn't always heed it. But uh, no, it's, I think I've said it um, previously that I think the reason why Leinster had a lot of success over the last few years is because we had a lot of players like that. You know, I could have named a good few more players that were like that, but I suppose it was it was my thoughts in the book, and I wanted to very much tell my story and not other people's uh, where possible. Um, and I think you know there is a lot of other characters in Leinster that would be similar to that. They demand high standards, and you know they want to win, and um, they try and drag the others along with them. So um, you know there, there's a lot. You know most of the players in Leinster are like that. So uh, it's not strange and yeah. that it's, that's why we've had a lot of success. Is there is it maybe a are there two elements to that in the sense that on the one hand you say there that you've tried to at times you've maybe tried to curb that that tendency to have a go at other players or to to uh, give out to other players but on the other hand there there are benefits to that as well you talk about driving standards on so are you kind of caught between two stools there a little bit yeah well in my eyes it was all that was always why i was trying to do it like i was always trying to you know get the team in the right uh you know, mental frame or, you know, the right way and preparing the right way and make sure we we're up for the game. But like it's sometimes it doesn't always come across like that to other players and I think sometimes you just have to, you know, um choose who you listen to and, you know, very much listen to, to Brian and, you know, he but I also listen to guys like Brad Thorne and Leo who kind of 
Um, well, Brad there said it directly to me. Leo um, wouldn't have, but Brad just told me, you know, he really enjoyed it and liked the the drive and stuff like that. So uh, he told me not to lose it, and um, you know that's great when you hear from someone like that. So it's like I said, I always had the the team in mind. It wasn't, a, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I never had a go with someone for making a basic mistake. You know that happens, but it's uh, like I said, just trying to drive things on. How have the French lads reacted to that side of things? Yeah, well, it's obviously more difficult in French. Uh, to, <laughs> uh, from from my point of view, they probably don't understand half the stuff I'm coming out with anyway. And even when I'm trying to speak French, uh, you know, like sometimes my pronunciation of words isn't as as good as it should be. Um, so I might know the word, but I have to throw it out three or four times, and mm. um, they kind of look at me a bit strangely. And eventually, I might trigger with them. Um, but no, look, that's the challenge of being here as well. It's uh, it's very different than. Um, one of the benefits of being here is, uh, you know, probably have to learn how to actually say it in a in a, in a positive, controlled way. Yeah, you've got you've got Ron O'Gara to help you there as well. I certainly help you. Uh, I think he's further along with the French. You, you can't escape the guy. I know. How have how's your working relationship been? I know you're very friendly off the field. Yeah, it's going really well. Um, you know, we're obviously very friendly off the field. That helps. Um, but you know, we. You know, we obviously spend a lot of time together, you know, kicking. Um, you know, he still joins in and most of the sessions. I think he, he might be getting asked to pull the boots on, uh, <laughs> or at least he thinks he is. Uh, but he, no, it's been great. You know, I've, I've obviously, um, you know, really enjoyed working with him. The, you know, you look at the stats as a kicker and, and they've been going really well for me um, since I've arrived here. So, um, yeah, and that's largely down to some of the stuff that we've spoke about and, um, the great thing about Ronan is he's he's been there and done it, and he's he's had really good days. He's had great days, and he's had uh, some bad days. And you know that's um, great for me that he's 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 been in the same environment and knows what you go through, so he can um, really give you some some good advice at key times. With the way the media had covered your relationship over the years, was there was it as amusing to you that the two of you would be working together again as it was? It seemed to be to everybody else. Of course, yeah. When, he, he phoned me, it was a couple of days before the Amlin final, and um, he phoned me and kind of said, uh, he was asking me about France, and I just thought it was a general chat, and, and then he goes, oh, I'm thinking about going over, and I said, oh, you, you know, to play? And he said, no, to, to coach, and I said, oh, with who? And he goes, um, with Racing, and I kind of laughed, and said, yeah, yeah, no, who's it actually with? And he said, it's literally with Racing, and, you know, he he wasn't looking for approval because he knew that I would have loved to, to work with him but yeah. we were had a good laugh about um, looking forward to seeing how the press reacted and how other people reacted because I think people still think that if we didn't have a good relationship we'd probably come out and say we do um, but we actually do uh, so that's why uh, we just looked forward to seeing how people reacted and definitely got some strange uh, responses. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. I, we we interviewed Ronan a few weeks ago on our TV show, and he was. I suppose a lot of the coverage over the years was about the difficult start to your relationship. But I was interested also in how that ended up becoming a friendship. And his take on it, I'd be interested in yours, was that you never two of you never sat down together as such to iron out any differences. But he reckoned that at one stage you started saying some nice things about him in the media and then he kind of threw out a couple of nice comments there and from his point of view he started thinking you know he's not such a bad fella is that the way it was for you? Yeah well how I probably acted at the time probably didn't reflect how I actually thought of Ronan you know even when 
you know those those arguments happened I always held him in the, the highest regard you know I grew up you know when I was starting to get really serious about rugby he was the Irish out half and um, I was unfortunate enough to have a, a dad from Munster um, who was a massive um, <laughs> Munster supporter and when the Humphreys O'Gara debate was going on he was firmly in uh, O'Gara's corner and thought he was the best thing since sliced bread so I kind of you know, had to listen to how good Munster were and how good he was um, as a young fella. So I always, you know, respected him massively, um, um, even though I probably didn't show it. Um, so that was what was uh, probably got left behind. Um, people didn't probably rec- re- re- see that until I maybe said it in the, in the press. Yeah, you thought maybe that was a good. Idea. So you, did did you feel that there was that it was some positive comments were needed just to break the ice or just to set things going in the right direction? No, I think it would have got sorted out. Um, regardless, you know, regardless, it's obviously once you get into a team environment and into the Irish setup, um, you know, the guys will. If there's any tension, they'll immediately take the mick out of both years and make it as uncomfortable as possible. So you quickly, but naturally as well, we spent a lot of time together on on, on kicking days on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday um, for a couple of hours every day on a Tuesday as well, some weeks and. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time just the two years together, and um, you know, you have to you you have to be big enough just to to move on from it. And um, I'm glad we did. Johnny, it was a crazy season last year. Obviously, in many ways, you've talked about some of them uh, moving away, but going on a Lions tour, winning a Lions tour, and being the out half in that team, the sense of pride you got from that. I know it's probably something you, that's difficult to answer, but compared to the big days with Ireland, compared to the big days with Leinster you've had so far, is it possible even to make those comparisons? Um, yeah, it, it's tough to make comparisons with anything. You know, it's uh, you know, lucky that I've had a lot of success when I played for Leinster. Um, we haven't had we've had one-off big days with Ireland, but we've never had big success when when I've been in the team. Um, but it's different. Everything is you know, it's different winning with the Lions than it is winning with Leinster and I'm sure it'll be different again if if I win something with uh, Racing you know it's um, it's hard to compare things it just, it's just great when you achieve something with, with any team but it can be different in uh, in many ways and it's, it's hard to you know you're, you're celebrating with guys that you've only known for six weeks but um, you know that's special in many ways as well because it's on such a big scale and um, you know everybody in it wants you to do so well and it means so much to, to four countries so yeah just a last word Munster and Leinster course this weekend uh, a game you've got such experience of is there anything in the back of your mind any bit of concern that the out halves out there are there's going to be a huge amount of hype around it it's going to be a big deal Irish management I'm sure will have a, a keen eye on it is that something that you have to concern yourself with at all no it's going to be strange obviously watching um the first time I'll be watching the Munster-Leinster match from uh, being an outsider. Um, you know, so it'll be strange watching it. Um, yeah, obviously, there'll be, be, you know, uh, Mads obviously would have played, Ian Madigan would have played last year in the in the fixture and did well, so he'll be used to it. Um, uh, Ian Keatley, I think, played as well um, for, you know, the end of a couple of the games, and I think he actually played in the Tolman Park fixture as well. So, you know, I think they'll be used to it. Um, again, it's it's a massive game. It's it's a game that's hyped up a lot as well. And in many ways, it's it's the shop window for to get picked for Ireland. So I'll definitely miss it. Um, I'm sure I'll watch it over here. Um, uh, it's on it's on Friday, is it? It's a Saturday evening. 
Saturday, okay, well, I've got a game at the same time, so I'll have it on record, and um, I'm sure I'll, I might watch it in the O'Gara's household after. <laughs> we'll have some good fun watching it. Yeah, sounds like a, a bit of crack. Anyway, listen, Johnny Sexton, the book is called Becoming a Lion. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you today. Thank you. Cheers. Yeah, the image of Johnny Sexton and his wife sitting down with Ron O'Gara and his family to watch Leinster mm. against Munster in uh, a house in Paris is a little bit bizarre but I thought it was quite interesting weird. Ken that they, he he agreed with what with O'Gara's interpretation of how their relationship improved mm. which was as O'Gara told us on the TV show that they started saying nice things about each other in the media now Johnny says that well it would have changed anyway we w- were professional we would have got to the point that we got on well but it didn't do any harm that Sexton broke the ice by saying how great Raj was and then yeah. O'Gara thought I better say something nice back maybe they should just like each other's profile pics or, <laughs> never or, actually speak or just heart heart each other's photos I don't know um, I suppose it, it, when you say nice things about people people generally like that you know there's people have a way when you say something nice about them of taking it at face value it is true Ken I re- recall one of the tributes to Seamus Heaney recently after his passing I can't remember unfortunately the, the name of the person who was speaking but it was very interesting because a lot of people it was really clear over those days how warm and how generous and how lovely a person Seamus Heaney was he seemed to have time for everybody and remembered everybody all these things but you kind of thought he was also brilliant at what he did. Surely he liked to be told that from time to time. Yeah. And this was put to this guy said, oh yeah, no, I, I used to praise him a lot. And he was asked, how did you, this was on, uh, I think it was on RTE radio, how did he react when you praised him? And the contributor said, well, he's a human being and they react in certain ways to praise. Uh, that is to say positively. He reacted very positively when I praised Thank him. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. It's a lovely thing that you said. Look at, look at how popular David Beckham is. You know, have you ever heard him say anything nasty about anyone? I mean, in the last 10 years, since he sort of really got his head screwed on. Had like, a pop at Grant Wall that time. Why don't Grant you write, Wall did have a pop at Grant Wall. The only person, Why don't you write that in your book? Oh, are you going to put that in another book, are you? Said David Beckham. It was quite... <laughs> it was I mean, pretty it, vicious as well now. But. You can see how feeble it was when, when yeah. Beckham actually tried to be critical because he's so unused to it. He just hasn't criticised anyone for so long that when yeah. he had to do it, he just completely uh, He just flopped. didn't back himself. But look, criticism that's the way to do it. I don't just say nice things. And by the way, Great job today, Owen. Oh, thanks, Ken. Great job and by you. fine job as well by you, Kira. <laughs> oh, thanks, Ken. I thought Simon, you two guys thought, were great. I you did really I well rate you all highly as broadcasters and as yeah, people. Well done. Yeah. Well done, the frequently readable Ken Early in the Second Irish Captain's Live on RT2 tomorrow night. 10 to 11 is the start time. So we're live at 10 to 11. It's the last of the four-show series. Listen to this for a lineup: Andy Lee. Mew. Jerry Flannery. Ooh. Shane Horgan. And the greatest Gaelic footballer of the last 10 years, Cullum Cooper. That's oh, not, a bad, that's that's good, not a bad lineup at all. I'm yeah. looking forward to it you immensely. You said the greatest Gaelic footballer of the last 10 years, you were going to say uh, Kevin, Kevin McManaman. <laughs> well, has, has there What's been so a more decisive player in all Ireland finals of the last, all Ireland competitions of the last three years? Uh, over the last three years. Has there? Well, okay. Michael Darren McCauley, actually. Yeah. All I'm saying is two, two medals for Kevin McManaman. But uh, yeah, well. I'm not going to Kev can jump come down to Kevin McBenham. You know, I mean, I know that, yeah, you know, Kev McBenham's out there. If you're hanging out in the Jude's Clubhouse tonight, Ken, make sure to mention it to him. Second Gap's football coming up a little bit later today. In the meantime, thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Great job, Kira. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. You've been great listeners. Thanks so much. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.